And thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast from Connect Church. We'd like to invite you to join us in person at 1101 West Grand in Ponca City, Oklahoma, or on Facebook Live. Go to connectchurchpc.com to learn more about how we are helping people connect every day. We are a people, connected people, all in God's love. did not know that Jack was making fun of me. A few years ago, the connectors made dinners and brought them over to our house during the, the month of October, and every time we'd make a video, I would say, it's yummy, yummy, yummy in my tummy, tummy, tummy. Isn't that sweet? And here I have a 17-year-old son who's mocking me. So you've been with us. You've seen the infamous triangle. Oh, I thought the kids were already back there. That's why Kenneth was flashing me. I meant he was flashing the lights. Hey, the kids want me to dismissed to go back for, with Pastor Kenneth for Connect Kids. And I can make a much better triangle than that. I can't write well, but I can make triangles. And so we talked about how in the church, we need koinonia, we need kerygma, and we need diakonos. And diakonos is about our doctrine, and here's what we're going to rest on today, is talking about diakonos, talking about our doctrine, talking about going and making disciples. You were called, you weren't suggested, you weren't just kind of referred to it, you were called to go and make disciples. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus is giving his, his farewell speech to the disciples before he ascends into heaven. And he says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw them, they worshipped them, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. That first thing that he says, he just says, go. Go. That, that Greek word he's talking about, go, we, we take it to say, you go. And, and it's so true that we are to go But what he's actually saying is, as you do life, as you travel around, as you walk through life, carry the name of Jesus with you and disciple people. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them about what God is doing. Go and make disciples in this way. He wasn't saying that we should carry around with us an entire binder and say, okay, this is what Jesus said about this, and this is what Jesus said about this. 
And let me tell you something. The Bible should impact our beliefs. It should impact everything that we do, everything that we believe in, everything that, that we understand. And so he's saying, I want you to go out wherever you go and make disciples. Take God with you. How many, how many of us have ever left the house without our cell phone lately? What, what, what is that experience like? I mean, does anyone else panic like, oh, no, I don't have my cell phone. What am I going to do? Chad's like, it's a glorious event. I love it. So when, when Terry forgets her cell phone, she gets to work. She calls me from her office phone, and she goes, Mark, I don't have my cell phone. I need you to go home and get it and bring it to me. I'm like, okay, I'll do that. If I don't have my cell phone, I sit there and I watch and I ding it, ding it, ding it until I can find it. We're so concerned about our cell phone, but how many of us, either willingly or non-willingly, forget Jesus at home? It's hard to go and make disciples when Jesus isn't with us. Here's what I want you to know. A disciple is more than a church member. If you're taking notes... A disciple is a learner. They are learning. What can I learn more about it? A disciple is a pupil. A disciple is a follower or an adherent. In the New Testament, the early church wasn't even called Christians yet. They were called followers. They were called disciples. The disciple is a, a student, someone who wants to learn. So in Jesus' day, they had rabbis, and rabbis would travel around. These were Jewish teachers, and they would have disciples. They would have learners that would follow behind them. And their entire goal then was to take the word of God with them wherever they went. And so whatever they learned from their rabbi, they would then pass on to the next generation. And so it was their way of saying, take these, learn these, pass it on. And so... We know about Jesus. We know that he had 12 disciples and had many, many, many more followers. But with these 12 disciples, he was pouring into them saying, this is what I want you to know. And inside his 12, he had three. He had three that he spent a little bit extra time with saying, hey, I want you to know this, and I want you to understand this, and I want you to get this. And inside those, those three, he had one in whom he called the rock. What a great name. I would love to be called the rock. I mean, I think about the movie The Rock, where Sean Connery comes out and he says, Welcome to The Rock. I, I, hey, that was a great Scottish accent. Come on. I don't do accents. Although I want you to know, when I was younger, I had a southern draw because I was born in Georgia. They made me take speech therapy in Nebraska because nobody could understand me. But my friends thought it was funny whenever I say that's not show something. I would say, it's nacho, and I'm like, nacho what? Cheese? Like, no, nacho. You know, that's nacho shirt, that's nacho pants. You know, nacho. They've since completely educated that out of me, and now I don't say nacho at all. <laughs> you, Terry, you can't sidetrack me like that, babe. But you, you think about the, the Rock, or one of the greatest movie franchises ever, Rocky Balboa. And you think about The Rock and how that represented who he was. And so as Christians, we were followers of Jesus. And Jesus spoke to one person and said, On this rock, I will build my kingdom. 
and the gates of hell will not shake it. And you think about that. Wow, that is so cool. The other thing I, I find hilarious is when Peter jumps out of the boat to go running to Jesus, and he sunk like a what? A rock. I mean, how funny is that? But he's saying something. We are to be a disciple, a pupil, a follower, adherent to it. In, in, the, in the New Testament, we were first called disciples, and then we were called followers of the way. And then in Antioch, they gave us this name that has stunk, stunk, that has stuck for two millennia. You know what that name was? Christian. They were called Christians first at Antioch. You find this out in reading Acts because they most represented Jesus Christ. And so what they were saying is not that you are a Christian, they're like, you're a little Christ. And it's not deifying somebody saying you're a little Christ. It's saying, man, you represent Jesus so well that when we look at you and we listen to you, we think we're talking to Jesus. Does anyone have somebody like that in their lives that when you talk to them, you're like, wow, I feel like I just talked to Jesus? And that's what we are called to be. See, in the Old Testament, you had Elijah who had a who had a disciple called Elisha. You had Naomi who discipled Ruth. You had Jesus who discipled his disciples. And you had Paul who discipled Timothy. But they're always looking to pass it on. They're looking to tell somebody else about it. And sometimes we can get so busy teaching our sons, teaching our daughters about life that we forget to teach them what's most important, and that's Jesus Christ. I can sit down with with my boys, and I can teach them how to jump, how to shoot a jump shot. And right now, if you watch either one of my boys, I did not teach them how to shoot their shots like that. Trust me. But you know what's more important than shooting a good jump shot? Knowing Jesus. Disciples, when they came to Jesus, they just said, "Teach us. Teach me to pray. Teach me to know. Teach me to do. Teach me to be." There's two misconceptions about discipling somebody. And oftentimes we say, I'm not ready. I, I'm just not ready. What, what am I going to say to them? What they ask me a question, I don't know the answer to. I'm not ready. And it doesn't matter where we are on our journey, all of us are ready to tell somebody about Jesus. There's something powerful about that. Something powerful about telling someone what Jesus has done in our lives. And, and PK and I were talking about that beforehand. He was talking about Connect Youth, and we we're talking about the church. How often do we tell someone what Jesus Christ is doing in our lives? This is what, what Jesus is doing. This is how God is speaking into me. The second misconception is we say, I don't need someone to disciple me. I've used this illustration before, but it's so perfect. Back in the early 2000s, Tiger Woods was the greatest golfer ever. I mean, he was amazing. And I, I remember in uh, the summer of 97, I was living in Tulsa, and I'm going down 61st Street, and I look up and I see four helicopters flying over Southern Hills Golf Course. I'm like, what's going on? So I pull in the quick trip that's right across the street from Southern Hills, and, and I'm getting my snack, and I'm eating my junk food. I said, hey, what's going on across the street? The guy looks at me, and he goes, uh, the PGA Championship, where have you been? I'm like, okay, yeah, whatever. What's with all the helicopters? And again, he looks at me, and he goes, don't you realize that this is Tiger Woods coming out party? 
And, and I remember watching Tiger Woods, and I mean, he is amazing. It was amazing to watch up until his wife hit him with a seven iron, but he was amazing to watch play golf. But I remember watching him play at St. Andrews in the British Open. And Tiger Woods played like Mark Bush. And I want, I'm sorry about this, but inside of me, I'm like, yeah, I love watching a pro play as bad as me. I felt good about myself. You know what happened after that round in which he looked so terrible? He had a coach that came out with him and worked on his swing, and he worked on it over and over and over again, and he just kept hitting golf balls over and over and over again. Why? Because he knew that he had to get better. And when you have someone who's discipling you, someone who's speaking into your life, they're saying, you know what? You can get better. He had a swing coach, and we need a spiritual coach to say, you know what, here's, here's where you are, and it's okay, but here's where we can get to. All of us need someone who's going to disciple us and make us better, who's going to help us grow. There's something powerful about that. You can make disciples. Everyone needs three people in their life, and, and we, we came across this in our devotions with the boys a couple weeks ago, and I love it. I want to share it with you. But everyone needs three people in your life. Everyone needs a Paul who's a mentor, someone who's going to speak in your life, who's going to mentor you and help you to grow. Everybody needs a Barnabas. And a Barnabas is a friend who's not impressed by you. They're just a peer. Someone comes alongside you, and no matter what you do, they're just really not that impressed with you. They're just your friend. And then you also need a Timothy, someone that you're pouring your life into. Who are the three people in your life? Who are the three people who have poured into you, who have, who have challenged you, who, who love you and, and, and take care of you? Who are the three people? Who are you pouring your life into? You see, for me, and I, I was fortunate because my, my, my parents introduced me to people who, who just poured their life into me. And I remember even in, in high school, I had pastors that were not my pastors, but they just loved me and they poured their life into me. And I had youth workers at church who just loved me and poured their life into me. And then going into ministry, I, I had people like Joe Kola who just loved me and poured into me and said, man, I believe in you and I want to encourage you. I had Jack Gilbert who married Terry and I and whom we named our firstborn son after. We had these people that just poured into us and they just loved us and cared about us and kept saying, you can do this. You can be get better. You can grow in grace. And they just challenged us. And then I have friends like uh, Devin Smith, who I guess now you kind of see as a mentor, but he's still my friend. He's not impressed by me. I've known him longer than I've known Terry. And when I do crazy stuff, he just shakes his head and goes, what are you up to? Stop doing that. By the way, if you have a Highlander sword in your office and your boss comes to visit, you should leave your Highlander sword in your office and not bring it out on display. I'm going to throw that out for you guys real quick. But you need someone who's they're not impressed by your resume. They're not impressed by anything they do, but they are just your, your friend, your peer. Someone who can go up to you and say, man, how, how is your Bible reading coming? How, how, is, how, how is your prayer life coming? Somebody who's just going to ask you those honest questions, and they're not going to judge you. They're not going to minimize their friendship with you, but they're going to love you no matter what. And then you need a Timothy, someone that you're just pouring into. You know, as parents... Get this, we got a free pass on that. Our Timothy is a part of our DNA. They were born from us. And so we have those right away. They're, they're built in. We can, we can pour into it. And I was talking to somebody. I said, you know, God is, I'm at that age now that I have adult guys who look at me as their father figure. And I go, it's kind of really weird. And when, when someone says, wow, you're kind of like a dad to me. I'm like, oh, am I that old? 
And Terry goes, yes, Mark, you're that old. A friend of mine has a birthday tomorrow, and I, I, I shared with him, I said, hey, here's the good news. You're still six years younger than me. Here's the bad news. You're catching up to me. Actually, you're not. Who are you pouring your life into? You see, we can make disciples by our example. In Philippians 3.17, Paul says, Join with others in following my example. Brothers, take note of those who are living according to the pattern we gave you. He says, you need to follow my example. Paul is not saying this because he's arrogant. He's not saying this because he's proud. He's saying, I want you to be like me because I want to be like Jesus. And so I want to be as much like God as I can. When I was young, I, I, I grew up mostly up north. And the thing that would happen up north in the wintertime is we had a huge amount of snow. In fact, I remember in April of 1989, it was a beautiful Easter Sunday. That afternoon, the wind changed, came out of the north, and it did not stop snowing until Thursday. When you're a little kid who grows up in snow country, and you have to go outside and you do things, you play in the yard, it's so much fun, by the way. But when you're younger and your dad walks out in the snow, you know what you try to do? You try to walk in their footsteps. And that's what being a disciple is all about. We're saying, I, mean, I, I want to walk in the footsteps of Christ. Now, I, and as a little kid, even though my, even though my dad's only 5'5", five five, he's a short guy. But I was three feet tall at the time, if I was lucky. Trying to follow in those footsteps and jumping from, from step to step was huge. We wanted to follow that pattern. We wanted to walk in the steps. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And I want to I point out this. The, the Greek word for follow is the word that we use as mimic. And, and so, Mimic. It doesn't exactly have a great connotation right now because you're like, oh, you're mimicking me. You're making fun of me. But actually what you're doing is like, I want to be a carbon copy of you. Here's a, here's a fun thing to do. Go home today, take some aluminum foil, cut off a corner. Pull a quarter out of your pocket, put it in the aluminum foil, and start pressing in on the head of the quarter. And then pull the quarter out. You know what happens to the aluminum foil? It looks like a quarter. However, you cannot fill it in and use it as a quarter, but it looks like a quarter. It's an imitation of a quarter. It mimics a quarter. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, be imitators of God. Mimic God. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Be imitators of God. Who are you imitating right now? So this is a, a strange time in, in the world. When I say strange time in your world, I'm talking about NFL football. If you're a Broncos fan like me, it's the best of times, it's the worst of times. We're really not sure how we feel right now. And, and so if you want to pray for us, just pray for us. Kind of like an OSU fan right now. Which, by the way, Kansas, you guys got to be much better to your hosts. I mean, come on. Sorry, I, dig I digress. But we have the GOAT in, in football, the best quarterback ever, Tom Brady. 
Tom Brady and his wife are getting divorced. You know why? He chose football over his family. We have Russell Wilson, who is arguably having the worst season of his career right now. And he's being roasted on Twitter, on Facebook, on TikToks. You name it, he's getting roasted out there. But you know what? He puts his family first. I sit there in this this dichotomy. I'm like, I I want my team to win, but I'm glad I can point to Russell Wilson and say, hey, that's who, boys, that's who you need to grow up to be like. Who do we want to imitate? What does it benefit if you gain the whole world but forfeit your soul? We need to be imitators of God saying, you know, God, what do you want with me? When they're saying, how can I disciple? We can disciple by our words. In Deuteronomy 3.28, Paul tells, or I'm sorry, God tells Moses, commission Joshua and encourage and strengthen him, for he will lead the people across and will cause them to inherit the land which you will see. Commission Joshua, encourage him, set him up for success, strengthen him, let him know that I am always there with him. The same way that God was with Moses, what, guess what? God was with Joshua. And so when we pass on our mental, our, our calling from God, we're saying to the next generation, God will be with you the same way he was with me. God will be there. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So there's some things that we have to nail to the cross. Terry, I may need to have you hold the cross because I may accidentally knock it over and I don't want that to happen. Actually, if you could hold the nail while I swing the hammer. Jeez. Selfish. We'll start with my agenda. We got to go up to. You look scared. We've got to nail our, our agendas to the cross and say, you know what? This is where I'm getting the cross. This is what I'm putting on the cross. My agenda, what I want, I'm putting it on the cross, and I'm saying, I want Jesus' will above my will. And that is so tough. We've got to put our agendas up there. We've got to nail our desires to the cross. Thing. It's not what I desire. It's not what Mark Bush wants. It's not Mark Bush's God, but I've got to put my desires up there. I am currently trying and failing at eliminating sugar from my diet. You know what happens every afternoon about 2 o'clock in the afternoon? I start craving sugar like crazy. I mean, Ashley will walk to the kitchen and she'll see me with an open container of sugar just dumping it in my mouth. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I need sugar. But here's the biggest one. We've got to nail our will. You know, putting those things on the cross and and seeing what it looks like, man, my agenda, my desires, my will, and I put it all on the cross, and I say, God, I... I sacrifice. I am a living sacrifice. In the Old Testament, we have this 
this entire symbolism of sacrifice where Abraham has to sacrifice Isaac and they walk up the side of the mountain and Isaac is carrying the wood and, and Abraham has the fire and Isaac keeps saying, Dad, where is the sacrifice? And Abraham says over and over again, Jehovah Jireh, my God will provide. They get up there. They, they, lay, out the, they, they lay out the altar. They, they, they lay out the wood. And then Abraham caught grabs Isaac and puts him down on the altar. And I don't even want you to, 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 to think about how much psychological damage that might have caused to Isaac. But God had to ask Abraham a question. Do you love me first? Because if we rewind the clock, we would have never gotten to that point if when Sarah came to Abraham and said, hey, maybe God wants to give you a child through my maidservant, here she is. If Abraham would have said, no, I would rather die childless than do that. I trust in God, not in man. Completely changed picture. But I also want you to know that this is a complete foreshadowing. Jesus Christ picked up the cross walked to the streets, and we, we call it the Via Dolorosa, to a hill called the Skull, to Golgotha, carrying his wood, carrying his altar, and then he was nailed to the altar with nails, getting rid of his agendas and his desires and his will. You see, the, the greatest thing that Jesus did was this. He died for our sins. He poured it out for our sins, and he said, this is what I've done. There was a commercial that kept playing over and over again during college football yesterday, and every time it would play, I would look at Jack and say, that commercial's only partly right. Because it talked about how Jesus had to endure people making fun of him and all these other things that, that teaches there was a better way. And I said, no, 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 no. Jesus had to die and rise again. That is the message of the Bible, and that is the message of discipleship that we know that's not our will. When Jesus, the night before he was crucified, what did he say in praying to God? Not my will, but yours be done. When Satan tempted Jesus, he came to him and said, hey, why don't you take the stone and turn it into bread? Jesus said, hey, it's not my agenda. He... he Satan then takes him up to the top of the, the temple mount and he says, hey, jump off and the angels will save you. And he says to him, he goes, hey, bow your knee and, and serve me and, and I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. And in all of this, he had to say, that's not my desire. My desire is God. My desire is his will. Not my will be done, but yours be done. Because God, Jesus lived in a constant state of sacrificing his will for God's will. Life connection. Who has God put you around that doesn't know Jesus? Who's God put you around that doesn't know Jesus? And what can you do about it? What can you do to start those conversations, those discipleship moments? And here's an important one. Who are your three people? Who's your Paul? Who's your Barnabas? Who's your Timothy? Let me tell you something. If we were to look at this triangle 
as a pyramid scheme, which I, don't, I do not you know, endorse pyramid schemes, but if we were to look at it as a pyramid scheme, and the entire goal of a pyramid scheme is to get to the top, the problem is the farther we move up, the less mentors we have. And the less mentors we have, we stop growing. But also another problem that happens is we start to move up is sometimes we have this temptation that I deserve something, or I deserve this, or I'm allowed this. And so then we start losing the peer group that tells us that's not right. That's not right. We need people in our life to tell us that's not right. One last story, my concluding story. When Terry and I were, were, we weren't even married yet. We were just dating. We were living in Tulsa. We were, I was living in Tulsa. She was in, in college in Bartlesville. And she came down, and we were going to a leadership event with Dr. John Maxwell. And it was so exciting. And all these leaders from our church were going. And uh, Terry and I had been seeing a lot of each other in the summer, hanging out, doing, you know, great stuff together, eating di- dinners, watching movies, all that fun stuff. But my, my really good friend David came down, and it was the first week he was going to be there, so he came, he spent the, the weekend in my apartment with me, and we were hanging out, and we go to this leadership event, I go, Dave, 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 I saved you a spot right here, right next to me. There was a guy in our church, his name is Kyle. It bothered Kyle. Kyle was sitting on the other side of me, another good friend of mine, and he got up and moved, and Terry came and sat down next to me, and I was trying to know. I'm oblivious to most things. Didn't think anything about it. During our first break, Kyle came up to me and he goes, you know, Mark, Terry is going to be your wife. You should save a seat for her and not for David. Then he turned and walked away. We need people in our lives who will speak truth and love and encouragement. Because what happens then, as we move up, we think that we become untouchable. And when we think we become, become untouchable, you know what happens? We fall in sin. And sin always destroys. Would you pray with me, church? Dear God, I just thank you for this time, God, the the opportunity to come here and to to learn and to grow, God. I pray, Lord, that you would speak in our lives. Speak in our presence, God, that to know you, to follow you, to understand you, Lord. And I pray, God, that we would always be men and women that want to know you better, want to grow close to you. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. We are a people, connected people, all in God's love.
Until